Welcome and Merry Christmas Eve. Can, can I say he is risen on uh, Christmas? Yeah, he's risen. I mean, that's an everyday thing, right? It's not just Easter. I know we look forward to it, but I'll, I'll say it here today too. Um, thank you guys for joining us as we come together to celebrate Jesus' birth. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris, and we're going to get right into worshiping the Lord because uh, that's what we do at the announcement or the celebration of, of him being born and what that means for us. But I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor because this ch- church, if you're visiting here, if, you, if you're here, you already know this. You're probably one of these people. But if you're visiting, we are notoriously late at this church. So like it'll keep filling up for the next half hour. And unless you want people to come tripping over your legs, the best thing you can do is if there's space in between you, from the edges of this, like in between, if you guys are leaving room for the Holy Spirit, you don't have to because the Holy Spirit is inside of you through faith in Jesus. But scooch in so the ends are open and then that way those people, when they're coming in late in the dark and they don't have to trip over you, they can just find those seats at the end. Other than that, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna start worshiping the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you. We need to say thank you, Lord, for just the fact that you were willing to humble yourself and come and be born as a baby and live as a man on this earth, Lord. That is truly a a truth that we know to be true, not just because your word says it, but historically, but Father, it's, it's, it's something that's hard to comprehend that God, the creator of the universe and all things would come and, and live as the creation, live as a person, but we know that you ultimately had to because that was the only way we're gonna be, we could be saved as we're gonna learn and be reminded of today. And so we come here rejoicing in this truth and, and all that it means for us that have placed our faith in Jesus because it's changed our lives eternally, literally forever. And the right way to respond to that as we're gonna see even in the text today is to worship you. And so that's what we're gonna start out doing. And may this be a sweet sound to your ears, Lord, as we sing these truths that we've come to experience that we know to be true from your word in our lives personally. And we give you thanks for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, approximately, uh, I think it was, it was close to this time, I think. I'd have to ask my wife, but... About 23 years ago, approximately around this time, somebody told me the good news about Jesus Christ. That's who, in case you don't know, that's, that's who we're celebrating uh, on Christmas. The Christ in Christmas comes from Jesus Christ. And so um, somebody told me about him, the, the good news. I'm gonna share that today, what the Bible calls the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. And I responded to it by believing, and that changed the trajectory of my life in a positive way. I mean, my life was going downhill quickly, and it changed it in a positive direction for really all eternity. But I was just thinking of how, and I wonder this sometimes, maybe some of you guys that have placed your faith in Jesus and, and experienced that dramatic change think the same thing in that, what if I hadn't responded correctly? What if I responded differently? My life could be very negatively affected in, in, who knows? I mean, it might not even, I might not even be alive today if I had done that, if I had responded in correctly. And so it, it's not just important for me 
or it wasn't just important for me to respond to Jesus correctly in my life. It's basically respond, er, important for every person in this world to respond to the good news about Jesus correctly. And so where I landed today in, in, in God's word or in scripture was just to go through a section where we're gonna see some different individuals and they're gonna be presented with the truth about Jesus Christ and they're all gonna have different responses to it. And the result of those responses is really what I want you to pay attention to because one of these people that respond correctly, or there's a group of people that respond correctly, it results in what the Bible says, rejoicing with exceeding joy, like mega joy. That's what it results in because they respond correctly to the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm hoping that us that have responded are reminded of the great joy we have in the truth of what Jesus has done for us. And for some of you, maybe this is your first time hearing the good news and you experience the joy that can only come through believing in Jesus. So we're gonna be in Matthew 2. If you guys wanna go ahead and turn there. Let me pray one more time for the word and then we'll get going. Lord God, again, we wanna give you our undivided attention. Seems like, Lord, when you're trying to speak to us or you're doing the greatest work in our lives, there's always distractions or things that would wanna take our minds off it. Even this morning, Lord, there's the mic's not working when it should be working. There's always distractions. And Lord, we have a choice to whether to, in a sense, focus on those things or, or continue to intently just look to you, listen to what it is you have to say. Because we, we know, Lord, your word says you have the words of life. Like, we're all looking to experience life. Like find those things that bring us joy, find those things that make us happy. And there's a whole bunch of things in this world we can try to find contentment and satisfaction and peace in, in but all, all the things in this world only bring us those things in a fleeting manner. It's always temporary. But we can have eternal satisfaction, eternal peace, eternal joy in you, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see an example of that in the scriptures today. So knowing that you have what we're looking for, every single one of us, we, we wanna listen to what it is you have to say through your word. We don't wanna miss out because we know these, your word is, is the most important thing we could ever listen to. And we know that it's not about just believing it in our heads, it's about knowing it and, and believing it and then living it out in our lives. And we need your help to do that, Lord. So be with us now, teach us your word and how to apply these things so we can experience the blessedness or the happiness that comes with obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm gonna read the first 12 verses. I'm gonna go through them verse by verse and just kind of explain some things and then kind of pull it back to really what I want us to take away from it today. So starting in verse one, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, so this would be after Jesus's birth as a baby, all right? He's no longer in the manger, no longer in Bethlehem. It says, behold, wise men, the Greek word used there for wise men is magi. Some of your translations might say that. But behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So just to give you some background on some of the characters or some of the people we see mentioned in this text, there's Herod. Now, if you guys 
have read the Bible at all, you know there's a whole bunch of Herods mentioned. Well, this particular King Herod is the original. He had another name, Herod the Great. And uh, history would say he was uh, one of the greatest rulers of the Roman Empire. He was also known as a great builder, like built a lot of structures and and infrastructure, if you will. Um, He's also known as somebody that was really paranoid about losing his authority or losing his role as, as a king. And that resulted in him basically killing a whole lot of his close associates, even some of his own family members, fearing that they would be disloyal to him. And these wise men from the east mentioned here were most likely uh, astronomers from the area of Persia, which was east, modern-day Iran-ish area, east of um, Israel. Um, But it's hard to know for sure because that word that used there in the Greek, that magi word, which is the term that we get magic or magician from nowadays, that term could be used to describe a variety of people that were interested in things like dreams, astrology, magic. But the thing, of, the thing about these magi is that they were considered to be the smart people of the time. They were considered to be philosophers. So they were looked up to. People valued their input. That's why they're referenced here in verse 1 as wise men. So they were somewhat considered people of nobility or of great stature, all right? And despite all the manger scenes that you may have seen, we don't know how many of them there were, all right? Because nowhere in here does it say the specific number. Now, most people think three because, as we're going to see in verse 11, there were three different gifts that they brought to Jesus. But we don't know for sure. But being from the East, these wise men would have lived amongst Jewish exiles, or basically people from the nation of Israel that centuries before had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire, which is from that same region of Persia, and then exiled or brought there to live and be assimilated into the society. Now, God allowed a bunch of his people, brought them back to Israel 70 years after they were sent into exile, but some of them chose to stay in, in Babylon, basically having grown comfortable in, in, in that culture or in that society. And so knowing that these magi were men of learning, it'd be reasonable to assume that they basically sought to be educated by these Jewish people. Here's these new people, and they have a different religion, a Jewish religion, which basically was based on the Old Testament, the first part of God's word in the Bible. And so they probably would have been interested to learn about this religion, learn about God, their God, And part of that education would have involved learning about God's coming Messiah that his word talks about, that the Old Testament talks about. Messiah just simply means chosen one. And God's word spoke of this coming Messiah that would ultimately save his creation or save the people that he created in the world. And judging by their reaction in this passage, it would appear that they responded to what they were told about this Messiah with faith or by believing it because they're obviously eagerly awaiting the Savior. They were eagerly awaiting the the birth of this Savior whom verse 1 tells us is Jesus because they're looking intently for these signs, these prophecies And this is one of the reasons why we know God's word 
is unlike any other religious book in this world because it's full of biblical prophecies that were written long before they ever happened and it completely predicts the future right. This one passage that brought them here is a passage from Numbers 24, 17 that was written a thousand years before this is actually taking place. And it says, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. So these, they had probably learned about these prophecies from the Jewish people and they're, they're believing in this Messiah that's gonna come and so they're looking and they see the star and that star spoke of basically the, 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 the birth or, or the coming into the world of this Messiah who would rise from Jacob. Jacob basically was where the nation of Israel descended from. He was like their forefather. So it's saying a star is gonna rise from Jacob or from the nation of Israel. That's where this Messiah would come from. And a scepter will emerge from Israel. A scepter is what a king would have. So it speaks of that this Messiah would be given authority or a role of a king in some way. Now, when I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm thinking that obviously this wasn't coincidental that these wise men that happened to be interested in astronomy were taught a specific prophecy that had to do with the stars, right? And this is something that God does for us, not just these wise men in that God makes it really easy to find him. When people say God is hard to find, that's not true. God is right there, and as we're gonna see, he sent his son so we can know exactly who he is and we can know him. Often, it's not God that's hiding himself, it's because we can have a tendency to want God to be a certain way, but that's not God, that's an idol. If God is who he says he is and that he's the creator of the universe and us, we don't get to tell him who he is. He tells us. And his word tells us exactly who he is so we can know, so we don't have to wonder. And when we truly look for him, we'll find him. And that's what these wise men did. And 2 Peter 3 tells us that, that God desires that all people find him. But there's only one person we can look to him through. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So, we can find God, but we have to go looking for him through Jesus, which is what these wise men do right here. Now, this star mentioned in verse two may have appeared initially at Jesus' birth, but it would have took a long time, probably months, for these wise men to travel this long, strenuous journey all the way from Persia to Israel over what was mostly desert. There was nothing about this trip that was in the convenient, but these wise men must have felt, based off of what they were told about this coming Messiah, that it was worth the effort to come and honor this king with the main motive, as verse two says, of worshiping him. So guided by the star, these wise men, they come to Jerusalem, and my guess is that they would have probably thought, okay, this is the Jewish people's homeland. Surely these people are gonna be looking for him. Surely they're gonna know where we can find him because if we've been told these prophecies and we're looking, I mean, they've they probably have been looking for this and they're gonna know exactly where he is, though that's not exactly what they find. As we see in verse three, it says, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, are you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah? For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So because of the great distance that these wise men had to travel, they probably would have been in like a big, large caravan with like a whole lot of servants or or people with them, a lot of supplies, And that would have probably drawn some attention as they rolled into town. The reason that they rolled into town looking for this Jewish king would have definitely drawn attention, especially by the Romans, because the Jewish people overall were seen as kind of a lowly defeated race of people. And the Romans thought very low of them because they were the ones that conquered them. So to hear about a king of the Jewish people let alone an infant one, that people that were well-respected in society would travel a long distance to come and see, that would have piqued some ears. So so somebody apparently hears about this and and they go to Herod to tell him to talk, you know, basically this, this king of the Jew being born. And along with what I said earlier, him being known for his paranoia probably sparked some concern in his mind. And it says here, you know, that it, it kind of freaked him out a bit. Or he was troubled. And not only him, but all Jerusalem with him, as it says in verse 3. And that might have been because he was also known as kind of a harsh guy that reacted kind of crazily sometimes. So maybe they were fearful how he'd react to the people. But he goes to the Jewish priests and scribes to find out where this birth was supposed to happen. And they reference Another messianic prophecy written over 700 years prior to Mike, which is from Micah 5.2, telling Herod that basically the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, which in fact that prophecy came to. If you guys know the story, there was a census, just happened to be a census ordered by the government. And so uh, Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, basically took his, had to take his family to Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, but had to take them to Bethlehem. And that's where Mary gives birth to Jesus in a manger, fulfilling that prophecy God's word spoke of 700 years before. Now, something that's very interesting here is that we don't see any indication anywhere in God's word that the Jewish religious leaders themselves were looking for this king of the Jews, that the wise men had basically come to honor And you have to understand, these were God's people, entrusted with God's word, experts in it. They knew all these prophecies way better than these wise men or anyone else. And they should have been looking intently for and seeing them come to pass. They had all the right knowledge in their heads. As demonstrated basically by this response they gave to Herod, they knew exactly what to say. But they seemed totally uninterested in going to find and meet this savior of the world themselves with their interest not even being piqued by these men of stature coming from a faraway land to come and see Jesus. And it says in verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know that that is not Herod's real motive for wanting to find this baby. We're told in verse 16 that he later orders all boys two and younger to be killed in Bethlehem, basically having determined the age of what 
Jesus would be or what this Messiah would be based off of what the wise men told him. And ultimately, his goal was to eliminate any possibility of anyone else being seen as a threat to his kingdom or his authority. And it says in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Some things just to note there details-wise. Jesus isn't a baby anymore because he's not in the manger. He's in a house and he's, he's a child. He's not a baby. Some of your translations probably say young. Most scholars think he was somewhere between six to 18 months here. But these wise men come to where he's at. They're filled with joy and they come in to worship him, all right? And this is the same star that had appeared months before when he was born, but somehow miraculously it guides him right to where he's at. And that response rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's not just happy. It's like mega happy, mega joyful. But when they found him, they didn't stop there. They entered into his presence. And once again, these men that would have been considered high up there in society, they humble themselves, they fall down, and they worship him. And it says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So it would have been common in that culture if you were visiting somebody of royalty or somebody that was really important, you'd bring them a gift, all right? And a a gift of value, and these were all valuable gifts. I mean, gold, it's been valuable since the beginning of time, pretty much, right? And apparently, I mean, frankincense and myrrh, I mean, essential oils are pretty expensive right now. So I mean, pretty much, I mean, maybe they had to bring both doTERRA and Young Living because they didn't understand like what Jesus would prefer. But No, but these were valuable things that they brought. And the purpose of bringing a gift to somebody of nobility was to let them know how important they were. Basically, you were saying that these things of value, they mean nothing to me compared to being with you. So I'll gladly give them up just to be in your presence, to have your attention. So these gifts were given to Jesus by these wise men as an act of worship, as we're told in verse 2 and 11, and they were basically saying, we, we treasure you. Th- this person they just met, they'd heard about God's word, but they're just meeting him. And they're like, we treasure you more than anything else in this world. Anything of value, we'll gladly just give it up just to be with you. And even though the Magi probably weren't aware of any other significance of these gifts beyond their value, these gifts also spoke of just who Jesus was and the ultimate purpose of his life here on this earth. Myrrh was something that was commonly used at this time in this culture to embalm the dead, which spoke of Jesus' death that he would endure later in his life. The purpose of God sending his one and only son was to ultimately die. As Romans 4.25 tells us, he was handed over to die because of our sins, our sins, my sin, your sin. 
Romans 3.23 tells us, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God's glorious standard. So if you guys never heard that term before, sin, in essence, what it means is disobey God. Like God tells us since he made everything and everyone in his word, what is good and what is right. And every person in this world has failed in some area in, in, in doing the things that he says are wrong and bad. Every one of us, to some degree, has done that. None of us are perfect. And what the Bible tells us, we're actually born with a sinful nature. From the moment you're born, and any of us that have kids, we've witnessed this. As a baby, when you tell them no, and they throw a violent temper, we're born with this nature to want to do the opposite of what we're told. Not just by God, by anyone else. All right? So, we've all sinned. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin or the just penalty for it is death. And that might sound harsh, but the reality is sin left unchecked always leads to death. So the penalty just fits the crime. Physical death, though, not even being the worst consequence of sin, but rather spiritual death or separation from God because God is perfectly just, which means he can't be in the presence of sin without immediately dealing with it, judging it. So our sin actually separated us from God. And if it's never dealt with, that separation is for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. But because of God's great love for us or the people he created and his desire to have a personal relationship with us or to not be separated, he showed us what the Bible called grace, which is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. By sending his son, Jesus, to take our sin, Jesus, who is equal with God, come to, he was sent to live, be born as a baby, live as a man, so that he could live a sinless life, which only God could do, but live a sinless life so that he could take our sin upon himself on a cross and die in our place so that that penalty, that wage of sin that our sin deserved could be paid for. It could be dealt with. And when we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus to save us from it, which we do just by simply believing in him, we repent means you turn from your sin, you turn towards God and you look to him, specifically Jesus, to save you from it. Because he did what needed to be done for you to be forgiven and saved from it on the cross. So you look to him, that's repentance. When we do that through believing in him and his work on the cross, we're forgiven of it. Or what the Bible says is you're justified of your sin before God. Justify means just as if you had no sin. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you, he sees his son. And then you're reconciled into a relationship with him as his children, where you're gonna spend eternity with the Lord, that starts the moment you place your faith in him, he puts his spirit inside of you, and he's with you, and when you go out of this life, you go to the next to be with him in a place called heaven, a, a place where basically there is no sin and all the bad consequences are gone forever. That's what God's word calls the gospel. That's the good news. Amen? Amen. Amen, yes. Now, frankincense was used in the incense burnt by God's priests. Basically, as a part of their worship, the Old Testament kind of laid out the procedures for this. They would burn incense in the temple. 
One, one of their roles as priests was to pray on behalf of the people uh, that would come to worship God. They'd intercede. And so those, the smoke from the incense would rise up to God and it was symbolic of the prayers of people and the priests rising up to God. And it was like a sweet smell to him because God wants to know us. He wants us to involve him in his life. So that's what the frankincense spoke of. But here's the thing. Hebrews 4.14 tells us, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So this gift of frankincense speaks of Jesus who would become our great high priest in heaven because when he died, he didn't stay dead. Again, he proved he was God because three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And he was witnessed by his disciples and lots of people on this earth before ultimately he ascended or got caught up to heaven to be, as the Bible says, at the right hand of God the Father where he will be until he comes back again. Amen? But what it tells us, he does up there, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there is one mediator now between God and mankind and he is Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 7.25 says he lives to intercede for you and me against anyone that would bring an accusation against us. Revelation 12.10 tells us that Satan himself brings accusations against us to God night and day. But for those that have placed their faith in Jesus, when Satan comes and says, look at their sin. Look at Eva's sin. Look at Chris's sin. All God says, I don't know what you're talking about. All I see is my son. All I see is my son. Now, finally, gold was the medal of kings or royalty, which Jesus most certainly is. In a vision given to John the Apostle in the book of Revelation, he sees Jesus. And it says in Revelation 19:16 that on his robe, this is Jesus, at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The idea being that Jesus has been given complete authority and absolute dominion by God the Father, because he's equal with God, over everything in the universe. And in that same section of scripture where that verse is found, it talks about how one day Jesus is coming back. He came the first time humbly to be a sacrifice, so the most important thing could be taken care of, our sin, so we could be made right with God. But the second time he's coming back, he's coming back as a king. And he's gonna establish his kingdom on this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. And he's gonna set things right the way they were intended to be before sin ruined everything. You wanna know why the world's so bad? People ask that. Well, if God's so good, why is the world so bad? It's not his fault. It's our fault. Sin makes things bad. And if you live long enough, you've probably experienced that even the things that were once good are bad because sin taints everything. Inevitably, it's just gonna keep getting worse until Jesus comes back to fix things, which only he can do. But what the Bible tells us about him in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 is that Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Amen? Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their, to their own country by another way. So these guys have come personally. They believed in Jesus. They, they came to see him, and, and they worshiped him in response to coming into his presence. And then the wise men are given a dream by the Lord that basically say, don't go back to that guy and, and tell him anything. And they respond with obedience. And they head home with their lives changed forever. Now, we're gonna praise the Lord again shortly, so I'm gonna have the worship team work their way back up here slowly. <laughs> when I, I'm not even gonna say I'm almost finished because it'll probably go another at least 10, 15 minutes. Uh, I don't wanna lie, I'm a pastor. But <laughs> as they work their way up here, I wanna just kind of sum this up with what I want you to take away from this. So in this passage, you basically three, see three different types of people respond to Jesus three different ways, all right? First, you have Herod, who responds to Jesus with hatred and hostility, not accepting him at all, right? He saw Jesus not as his savior or somebody that he needed to save him. He saw him as a threat to his throne. He saw him as, I don't want this guy to be my king. I can be Lord of myself. I want to do what I want to do. I'm happy. And as such, he, he didn't see a need for Jesus to save him. And he completely rejected him in seeking to kill him instead. You also have the religious leaders who basically ignored Jesus. They knew where he could be found, but were so busy living their religious lives are trying to be good people in their own efforts that they couldn't find time to seek him out. They knew of him, but weren't interested in making the time to know him personally. And by doing that, they completely missed out of what God desired from them first and foremost, to have a relationship with him. And then you have the wise men who looked for Jesus and when they looked, they found him and were filled with joy, coming into his presence and worshiping him. And I point that out because every person in this world has a similar choice to make in how they're going to respond to Jesus. And every single one of us fall into one of these three categories. Some are gonna hate and reject Jesus, not willing to even give him a chance like Herod because they've been deceived by Satan into thinking this world is as good as it gets when really this is as bad as it gets. And because of that, because of that deception, they don't see their need to be saved from their lives. They don't see their need to be saved out of this world. John three sixteen through 20 tells us, for this is how... God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Herod falls into that category. Is somebody that had the opportunity to go to the light, to Jesus, but refused to? Because he didn't want his sins exposed. If I go to this guy, then I'm gonna have to answer to him and the things that I know are bad that I won't be able to do anymore and I wanna choose those bad things. I'm gonna stay in the darkness. Even though going to Jesus would have changed his life for better forever. Others know just enough about God to think that they're good with him but basically ignore Jesus like the religious leaders did. Never really seeking to know him personally. They might even go to church. They might read their Bibles but as soon as they close that book, as soon as they walk out that door, they don't involve Jesus in their life whatsoever. They just go about living it the way they want with no interest in him. Jesus warning us in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. The greatest will of the Father is to believe in the Son. Goes on in verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. We did stuff for you. But I will reply, I never knew you. That's what I wanted. I just wanted to know you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's the ironic thing. For people like this, They think they're good with God because of their own self-righteousness. When what the whole point of the gospel is, you can't be good in your own power. There's nothing you can do to be perfect. This is what makes it such great news because apart from God, it's hopeless. We can't save ourselves. We can't live perfect lives in our own power, but God did what we couldn't do in sending his son to die for you so you could be forgiven and made right with him. It's not about, we have nothing to be self-righteous over. I say this often to remind us so we look at our brothers and sisters and everyone else in this world correctly. You're as bad off as you could ever be apart from Jesus. Every single one of us, and you are as right as you could ever be through your faith in Jesus. There is no like differing levels of Christian. You're either a saint or you ain't. It's that simple, all right? We're all equal playing fields before we're saved and after we're saved. That's how God sees us, and that's how we should see each other. But these religious leaders fell into this category of, in their self-righteousness, thinking that they were good with God when really they had no interest in knowing him personally at all. It blinded them. And some of us are like the wise men. We looked for Jesus, and we found him. They're waiting for us. And coming into his presence, we saw how amazing he was and we felt a joy that was different than any joy we've ever felt in our lives because it wasn't dependent on circumstances. It wasn't fleeting. It was an eternal joy, something to rejoice exceedingly with great joy in. And from that point on, our lives are spent just wanting to live with him and for him not because we have to as an act of worship because of all he's done for us. We just wanna be with Jesus. We just wanna serve him. As Psalm 1611 tells us, you, talking about the Lord, will show me the way of life. 
granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. True joy can only come in the presence of Jesus. True pleasure that's gonna last forever can only come with the Lord. If we're looking to be fulfilled in life, it'll only be found with Jesus. So the question I wanna leave you with today, and I really want you guys to think about this, is how have you responded to Jesus personally in your life? Which one of these categories are you in right now? Christmas is great. I had a great meal at our home church earlier. How many of you guys have had several Christmas meals already? I had a great one already. Gonna have another good one tomorrow. It's gonna be great having family to hang out with and just rejoice and being thankful for that, open presents together, all the different parties and celebrations. Christmas is great. But all those things, those celebrations end eventually, right? They come and go. It truly is like a once a year thing. But the celebration God's given us through what Jesus has done, through him being born into this world and, and dying for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin, that's an eternal celebration. That's something we're reminded of on Christmas, but we celebrate every day for the rest of our lives here and in the next life. That's something we wanna make sure as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we're truly celebrating the right thing first and foremost. We're celebrating the Christ, our Messiah, who was born, who died, who rose again, who ascended to the Father, but's coming back. The first coming saved us, the second coming is when we're gonna be reunited and never leave aside. amen? That's something truly we're celebrating. So we wanna make sure that we've responded correctly to him though. You know, what I like about this text is it shows this truth, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is that God's not hard to find. Just like these wise men, if you're looking for him today, he's here. He's at your home. He's everywhere. But all you need to know is he's right there. And he doesn't want to hide himself from you. That's why he was willing to let his son die on that cross. That shows you how valuable you are to him, that he did everything necessary so you could be forgiven of your sin and made right with him. And you could know him and you can find him. And if like those wise men, you're coming here today looking for God, all you have to do is respond to Jesus He's here and he's ready for you to respond to him. And when, you'll find, when you find him, you'll be filled with that same joy that these wise men more will. And you'll find that all those things, those gifts were symbolic of, you'll find those things to be true and much, much more. And it'll lead you to a place of wanting to worship him just like they did which is what we're gonna continue to do right now. But before we do, I just wanna encourage you, during this time of worship, we're gonna have people just, our prayer team around the room, all around, there'll be different people standing up, men, women. And if right now, you sense God telling you you need to respond to him, 
And that can be a lot of different things. Maybe you're, you're hearing this for the first time. You're realizing, like, that's me. I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to respond to Jesus so I can be. Maybe you're somebody that you, you're just visiting today, and, and you haven't been to church. You're somebody that maybe grew up, or maybe for whatever reason, you stopped going. You, you just, you thought you knew God. You had some knowledge of him but you walked away and right now you're, you're sensing, I, I need to respond. I need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you're one of the religious people where you realize like this idea of having a relationship with God, that sounds so good, but it's foreign to you. I thought, you know, it's, it's just about doing good things and you're hearing how Jesus came to, so you could be in his presence so you could know God personally, so he could be someone you talk to and look for comfort from and lead you into all the good things he has for you in life and to help you when you're weak. Maybe you just need to respond to him because you understand right now, no, I, I'm missing that. I need, I need that. I need something more. I'm missing what God desires and I want it. Whatever it is, it's between you and the Lord. And you can respond just where you're standing at, where you're standing, you can talk to God. Sometimes we just don't know what to say, so it's helpful to go up and ask for prayer. and Just tell the person, you don't even have to go into details. I, I just need to respond, that's me. I need to respond to Jesus right now and they'll lead you in a prayer, help you do that. But I'd encourage you, don't leave this place without responding. You're only guaranteed today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So the day is the day of salvation for you if you have not believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And for the rest of us, we've been reminded today of what we truly need to be celebrating, amen? amen. So we should be singing loud and rejoicing in our Savior who was born and lived and died and rose again and ascendance coming back soon. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you for the salvation you've given us. Lord, I did not deserve it. I look back at what my life was before you came into it, and even the things that I thought were bringing me joy, they really weren't. I didn't even know what true life was to live or, or true joy was until you saved me, and I'm, I'm forever yours because of that, Lord. You paid a huge price so I could be forgiven of my sin and know you. And so I'm yours. And it's being with you just as these wise men experienced is the only, only place I wanna be. It's more important than anything else this world has to offer. You've given us so many reasons to worship and praise you, Lord, and so we wanna continue to do that right now. And I pray especially now for anyone that you're prompting to respond. You're calling them, or as your word says, you're drawing them to yourself that they would do that, Lord. They wouldn't listen to any excuse or, or just have an attitude of, well, I'll do it later. No, right now, they would respond. Just like those wise men heard about you and believed and searched for you, and when they did, they found you. I pray that that would be the case for anyone today that's still looking for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.